Hi, and welcome back to the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share it with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. Today's episode is one for the geeks. We're happy to welcome Dimitri, general partner at Runa Capital in Berlin. He invests in cloud infrastructure, deep tech, and quantum computing. Dimitri has a PhD in physics, was a visiting researcher at the University of ULM and Max Planck Institute for Polymer Research in Mainz, Germany. Come and join us as we discover what the hell photonics are. If you enjoy our content, do support us by hitting the follow button, giving us a review and following the European VC on LinkedIn. Dimitri, welcome to the European VC podcast. Super nice to have you today, welcoming you and your colleague from Berlin. How is everything today? Very well, thank you. The weather is finally sunny. It's like spring is coming. Thanks for inviting and thanks for having me here. It's our, our pleasure, our pleasure, Dimitri, to, to welcome you and Runa Capital. Let's maybe start with the basics, Dimitri. You started off introducing yourself to Andreas and I before we started recording as I'm a bit of a geek, uh, whatever the term was. So give us the backstory real quick and how, how does a geek end up being in venture? Yeah, that's been an interesting journey. I started by studying physics and did PhD in polymer physics uh, back in the days. But as I was working on my research topic, I realized that perhaps 80-90% of what I'm doing is connected to computer, to software. There is just a physical problem to solve, but everything else I do is like setting up computer cluster, writing codes to solve problems. And um, I realized that I probably need to pursue my career outside academia and join industry. And I was thinking, what am I strong in? And that was uh, software. So following that, I worked for a few years in software businesses, in telco business, and then quite accidentally run into the venture. <laughs> Essentially, a headhunter approached me asking whether I'm available for an interview interviewed with the team, was one of the first people joining as an associate back in the days. And here I am, 12 years back, that happened. Since that time, I'm a member of Luna team. I actually didn't know that. So it's actually also a funny a funny part of your story. So you grew inside the firm from associate, as you said, into partner today, correct? Yes, that's, that's right. Any kind of reflections or core learnings of that process? I don't meet a lot of people that go through that journey inside one firm, right? Like most people that I know, at least, they jump across firms more. I'd, I'd, lo I'd love to hear any reflections or learnings you have from that. Well, one of the learnings is that it takes time in venture. Everything takes time <laughs> in venture. When you think of venture from the outside, it's all that, you know, shiny and like these people investing in modern technologies, whereas in reality, it, it takes uh, years for the companies to grow and it takes uh, years for your accomplishments to be recognized. So being patient, is important and then you see the results and so many that know of runa or are checking out runa capital real quick they'll see that you're an early stage investor doing seed and, and pre-series a you're doing a bit of series a as well doing b2b SaaS, deep tech and so on and and some regulated industries i think that's how you define it on your website but you're actually super focused on on deep tech yourself as an individual and that's what you're passionate about so i'd love to hear you just kind of do a quick intro of, you know, why are you a deep tech investor? You know, why did you decide to dedicate your career to investing in this space rather than doing, I don't know, B2B SaaS as some of your partners or doing a marketplace or whatever uh, other sector other people might invest? I would say it largely comes from the 
expertise and the background. I learned how to assemble computer clusters and uh, run computation on them was uh, when Amazon was still famous for selling books online. So that was sort of pre-cloud era still. And then there was this um, shift in the entire industry when companies started to adopt cloud and the new architectures, new computer architectures started to pop up. And it was just, you know, exciting time to apply the expertise and knowledge. Initially, Runa's uh, deep tech thesis was all around the software and uh, cloud architectures, new infrastructure to compute in the cloud. I think that that's when my skills and, uh, and background was just relevant, right time, right place, I would say. And then now, 10 years later, we need to be focusing on something new. And that's how the deep tech thesis of Runa has been evolving from doing deep tech and software. We went also adding new topic, deep tech hardware, like photonics, quantum computing, quantum sensing, things of that nature. As everyone can probably hear, this is going to be a conversation where we dive quite deep on the tech because you've got a background that really, you know, is um, not like most venture investors. And you also have an affinity for the tech side more than just the commercial side. So for that reason, I have been really excited to dive into the topic of quantum computing with you. Because honestly, I don't know much, but I do remember reading Benjamin Walbus' blog post on it and why he's been saying no to most of the uh, <laughs> the startups that is, has come his way because he thought, ah, we're not there yet. But could you take us into the space of quantum computing and just make us try and you know talk to us as if we were your students back when you were a PhD student and had to explain <laughs> to someone coming in from the street, what is quantum computing? And what is going to happen over the coming years? Okay, yeah. So quantum computing is a very exciting emerging area. Well, it has been emerging for the past 20 years, maybe. <laughs> uh, so uh, people were trying different approaches to that. And at the same time, working on a whole new theory around that. When I think of quantum computing and like the first applications where, where that can be interesting and useful, I remember doing my PhD and that my PhD was largely focused on simulating uh, molecules, simulating polymers, right? And um, to simulate a behavior of, of an atom or a molecule back in the days, well, like using classical computers, one needs maybe, you know, million bits and one needs to flip those bits here and there to do computation, to try to emulate how those molecules will behave. When you think of uh, applying quantum computer to the same problem, you have this quantum systems which inherently behave as atoms, as molecules, and you just get them to interact and you essentially get your results by utilizing just a handful of qubits. And that's where we would see the first applications of quantum computing assets. Then there is like a, a whole lot of theory and ideas where that would evolve, but I think the, the first applications we'll see, we'll see there. I'm not sure whether I should or should not jump into... Uh... <laughs> nah, but I, feel, feel free to jump in and we'll interrupt if you can't follow. But what I would just ask you to add there and add some color there is, you know, the fact that they behave, that it behaves like molecules, right? Like atoms. Like what kind of problems that, does that really allow us to solve today or, or with the, the, the implementation of this technology that other technologies did not allow? Or what, what avenues, what doors does this open for us as society, right? generally speaking. Mm -hmm. I would say that the low-hanging fruit here is drug design, 
molecular design and design of new materials. That is something that we will be able with the um, so-called NISC quantum computers, so the quantum computers which are appearing these days and which will dominate the next decade or so. That, that's interesting because that means that what you identify as the low-hanging fruit is basically life science application, but also industry 4.0 kind of applications, right? Industry 4.0, I don't see that clear. What do you mean? Then do shed light a bit more what you mean, you know, with... with you know, because for me, life sciences is obvious, but but I, I'm not really seeing the other solutions. So I'm, I'm curious to how this can be relevant to other people active in venture who are focused on other specific sectors, right? What you just said in terms of low-hanging fruit. So molecular design and biotech is, is one. We, yeah. we covered that. When I think of new materials, and one can simulate the behavior of new materials and predict the properties of new materials, that could be new type of sensors. There was one company in Boston that I was uh, speaking to, which was designing new sensor for x-rays. And that has quantum effects. They did not uh, simulate that on the quantum computer, right? But since that the effects there are quantum, one could imagine designing materials of that nature using quite quantum computer at some point in time. Could I just ask you, Dimitri, because now we're talking a bit about the application layer of quantum computing. Is that where we are? Is the majority of the VC investments going to applications of quantum computing or is it, is it more on the technology side and actually getting to a point where we have quantum computers that function well, well enough and so on? And then, you know, application computing. Most of the investment is going into actually building and designing new machines, which will be more powerful, more, more precise, which will unlock more capacity to solve more problems. But in parallel, we already start thinking what problems will those machines will be solving. I think that's that's very important. I wouldn't say we're 100% focused on technology, right? We're still wearing our VC hats here and uh, want to, to make returns for our investors. So we want our quantum computers we invest in to be useful. So that's why I started about applications of quantum computers rather than principles of quantum mechanics, which uh, allow uh, the quantum computers to, to be built. And I'm curious because then, as we just spoke about before, you are very knowledgeable of the science side. How do you see investing in this space when it's, you know, because it's always part tech and then it's, then it's also firm building and, and, and everything. How do you see your own value at there? Is that where you as an investor also excel or do you as an investor say more? I focus on the tech side and then you know, the other part comes from other investors, either inside Runa Capital or from the rest of the group investing in the round that you're in. No, I mean, technology focus is uh, is only for the due diligence phase, right? Well, once once you have invested, you, you, you need to make sure that the company is developing as an organization, that the company is hiring the right people, have, has the right functions, that the team is not overly focused on research, but again, is trying to find applications for what they're building. So absolutely, then, then we would act as any other VC trying to bring a new talent to the company if we, if we feel it's missing. What is the typical profile of founders you are seeing, right? Interesting founder, right? <laughs> Obviously. Um, and I'm asking, of course, to understand, is it mostly like PhD type profile, researcher type profile, and maybe just to paint some color so that everyone listening in understands the, the geographic kind of coverage as well. So is it, you see mostly Eastern European, Southern European, Northern European, US, you know, just 
paint us a picture of the profile of these founders. Speaking of this hard deep tech founders, so quantum computing, photonics, absolutely most of them, or maybe all of them, have their research background, PhDs in their respective areas, be that physics or computer science. Sometimes they have worked in industry for several years, gained expertise in engineering business, and then they return to their lab, they team up with the professor and build business together. In terms of geographies, I would say a lot of we do at Truna is in Western Europe and UK on the deep tech side of things. It's Germany, France, UK, Netherlands, we see a lot of pipeline from from these regions. Now, I think Spain and Italy are also coming on the radars. Switzerland, of course, we have portfolio companies from Switzerland uh, in the deep tech area. So there's this big topic that I hear everyone talking about, and you haven't said the word once. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm going to bring it up. You know, everyone's talking about the emergence of AI and investing more in AI and the applications of AI, you know, and, and how it has matured. And it's now becoming an interesting space, both from like just tech development area, but even an investment perspective. Are you looking into this space? How does it cross over with your focus or not? I'd love to hear your thoughts as it's such a hype topic these days. I mean, we have made our first investments in AI some 10 years back. It's becoming a hype now, or it became uh, overhyped now. People tend to invest there, which makes this area, I mean, it's still interesting, but it's very competitive. I personally like to do contrarian deals, like deals that not so many people are after trying to be kind of ahead of the hype. I mean, we're still looking at, at the sector. AI, computer vision uh, is, is interesting. Just did a couple investments as a firm in companies, for example, doing a platform for data annotation for computer vision, a company from Armenia working on that topic, or a company using computer vision to detect uh, pathologists in the eye for the doctors, for the eye care specialists. I mean, we're, we're looking at that. But for me, that is not really the deep tech now, right? It's not a, a university spin-out. It's sort of a common knowledge that people can gain from working in the industry. So, I mean, it's it's interesting, but it's just not techy enough <laughs> to, to, to bring in this conversation. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I get it, I get it, I get it. But let me put you on the spot then and, and ask you, you know, you said something that I think we very much like and agree as well, which is it's about contrarian bets, right? So what is it about like quantum photonics and even infrastructure software, right? What is it that makes it a contrarian space, right? So an example I would give, right, is that, you know, I like the life sciences space and I love the biotech space and drug dev space. And I think what's contrarian about it is the misconception of, you know, the regulatory pathway that the technology has to go through being an issue, right? Being a hurdle when it's actually very simple compared to going to market with whatever product, right? So same question. What is particularly contrarian about these these areas of focus for you, at least from other investors' perspective or from the market's perspective? I don't think it's really contrarian in terms of the market perspective, because there is a view that quantum computing is going to emerge, that using photonics for data transmission, for calculations, for storing data is an interesting approach. There are university labs working on that, but there is a lack of expertise in VC sector on one hand. On the other hand, those companies are founded by scientists. They're not speaking at every other conference and you don't meet them often. 
So it's uh, it's contrarian in the sense that yes, people are thinking about it and think it's an interesting space, but for whatever reason, not much uh, activity is, is happening there. I think it's just the, the lack of expertise among VCs. It's starting to change, right? And and we see specialized VCs like. For example, uh, Quantumation is very much focused on investing in quantum, and we have made a few co-investments with them. And I think, again, half of their team are PhDs in, in physics, and they know the subject, whereas that's not the case for, for, many, uh, for many other firms. There's this really interesting topic that I've been surfacing a bit in the last couple of episodes, which is actually something that was first aired out in the All In podcast. Any listener that doesn't know what that is about, you know, we have a bunch of very accomplished U.S. investors talking about venture and the status of everything. And they came up with this very kind of interesting data, which is, you know, investors that have performed, meaning DTI, right? So we don't have many of those, but investors that have performed recurrently and repetitively. And I don't really remember the amount of DPI there, but it was like a total aggregate amount above X, right? So significant return. They were all like commercial backgrounds. like they're super like non-technical like former traders former bankers you know super commercial what i thought when listening to that episode was like comparing that to the status of the market in europe especially in the early stages where we had this emergence of more and more you know first-time fund managers most of them operators many of them experts super technical right and i actually do believe there's a role for these investors but data seems to not back it and it might be a matter of data scarcity or a matter of time right I'd love your comment to this very open question of, you know, what is the role of super technical investors in venture versus super commercial investors in venture? That's uh, that's an interesting question. I haven't seen that data, right? <laughs> would, be, would be interesting. I think it's like pitch book data and it's like people who have returned more than a billion individual investors, so not firms, individual investors. I think it's like there's like 20 investors in the world, obviously. I think all of them are are in the U.S. right because time right time period. It might be the case. I just I just don't uh, I don't. That, but, so so something that's interesting there as an example is that's historical historical data right. And then one of the hosts of that show actually brought up the topic of well AI. So you know we spoke about AI just now. The emergence of AI as an example in the sense of well you need a different kind of skill set to diligence those deals of course, but can technical Investors with a technical background kind of be responsible for the investment decision, yes or no. And then you had like very contrarian views in that panel. So some some saying no, 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 others saying absolutely yes, and like a, a super interesting discussion there, right? So I think that is that kind of paints an interesting picture in terms of of the development of the industry, I guess, as well. Yeah, but look, uh, if I if I think of uh, our IC have people of different backgrounds, so, and it's a joint decision, right, to to invest in a company or or not, and um, to make the decision, a partner needs to uh, convince the, the entire investment committee. There are people of different backgrounds. So I think the, the healthy mix here helps a lot, uh, not to make crazy decisions. <laughs> and uh, te- again, technology is an important di- differentiating factor, right, for making the investment, for doing the due diligence and then understanding how uh, defendable the position of the business is. But in the end, it's about building the business. It's about building teams, growing revenues, and all those, you know, boring <laughs> things which has to be done in every company, whether it's uh, heavy technology or, or not. 
so fun you say the boring things uh <laughs> because because to me it's the opposite <laughs> yeah. right <laughs> so that that goes to show the difference between people but dimitri let's get an, into our quick fire question round that is quick answer questions 60 seconds per one are you ready for it let's go first question what areas technologies or sectors excite you that most people around you don't really feel that excited about We've spoken about quantum technologies. I think that that is the frontier. I'm also excited about CRISPR and DNA editing and things of that, of that nature. I don't understand much about it, but it feels another frontier. Second question. What are your top tips for emerging VCs across Europe who are currently fundraising? Tip one, focus. Tip two, focus. Tip three, focus. What we've learned is LPs have their preference for certain areas and they look for a match. Right. If they find a match between your vision and what they're looking for, then it's a hit. Then you close. And final question. What is the most counterintuitive thing you've learned since you started in venture? I've learned that it takes time to build unicorn. <laughs> Whether it's, uh, you know, for me as a young associate, that was uh, that was very counterintuitive. Now I know that it takes uh, some 10 years to build. Dimitri, thank you for your time. Thank you for joining us at the UVC. Um, and uh, hopefully we'll see you around in person in the tech conference in the future. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Thanks for inviting. Thank you for listening to this episode of the European VC, the go-to podcast for everything European VC. If you love the show, share with your friends and join our newsletter at eu.vc. 